This is a CJSR podcast. Like as a kid, I didn't see him at all. I was being part of hip hop. Um, it's way later when I'm studying the history that I'm like, oh, my dad's totally a part of hip hop. Hey, I'm B-Boye Onanuga, and this is High Level Hip Hop. Fresh music from CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. How many of you have pondered where hip hop began? Maybe you learned of its rise in America with shows like Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix. But have you ever considered Edmonton as being one of the hubs of this rich cultural phenomenon? Our next artist is Kaz Mega, a multi-dimensional community builder and creative. As admirably described on his LinkedIn profile, he's a journeyman welder of artistic expression, trained to apply hot fire to seemingly inflexible topics and forge completely new yet sturdy observations. To fill us in on this week's guest, we've linked with high-level hip-hop producer, Vanessa Viviros. Hey, Vanessa, how are you? I've been well. I'm feeling mad grateful these days. What have you been up to lately? I've been connecting with creatives here in Edmonton and Calgary and just fueling my passion for art and music. I noticed a lot of humans in my life have been experimenting with hip-hop music. It really got me thinking about my conversation with Kaz. Hmm, that's interesting. How so? Well, hip-hop music has infiltrated popular culture in multiple dimensions. But when I ask people about its origin, or if they were familiar with the culture behind the music, I got a lot of blank faces. And with lifelong influence from some of the OGs of hip hop, Kaz sheds light on when and where hip hop started. We discover not only was Edmonton one of the hubs for hip hop music when it all began, but Kaz's father actually played a key role in what we discover as being one of the four elements of hip hop. And with influence from youth forging a new path and the cats that watched it all begin, Kaz is an invaluable human for us to connect with on this show. Wow, I feel like there's so much we can learn from him. I'm looking forward to this episode. Let's dive in. So we'll just start off with you introducing yourself, providing your artist's name, your pronouns, and your origin story. So I go by... Kaz. Kaz Mega is my artist name. And I have the pronouns he and him. And um, I'm representing Amiskwichiawaskahegan, uh, Treaty 6 territory, home to many indigenous peoples and travelers who have passed through it. I um, want to make sure that I acknowledge that. Um, AKA Edmonton. All right, so we're just going to dive right in here. Speaking to you earlier with that pre-interview, something that really caught my attention that I thought that our listeners would also be interested in was kind of the history of hip-hop here in Edmonton and how you and your family actually played a part. So how about, can you take us back to the late 70s, early 80s? What was happening with hip-hop back then? 
in Edmonton specifically and also globally from your perspective? Well, yeah, hip hop was just forming. Like keep in mind, like people weren't calling it hip hop when it first started, right? Like it was just a thing, a gathering of arts and culture. So hip hop is a gathering of marginalized people, um, most displaced. And it was actually their response to gentrification at the time in New York, like 75, 76, 77. There were a lot of gangs in New York and there was a lot of violence at the time. So you had this sort of like war zone-esque thing going on where, you know, buildings are on fire, people are living with no electricity and it forced the youth, the children, to take care of themselves and their way of creating their own little family units um, was essentially by creating gangs. So there's a movie called The Warriors, where like the glass is clinking and it's, Warriors, come out of me. I don't know if you ever heard that, but that's from this, like, the 70s movie, which is covering, like, it's a movie about that gang culture. But everything was extremely territorial and uh, extremely violent when it came to, like, crossing into territory that you were not, that was not your territory. So it got so violent that the kids got to a point where they're like, yo, we can't do this anymore. Um, it's not sustainable. They recognized that it wasn't sustainable. So that's when they started gathering and they forbid violence in their gathering. So they're like, okay, we're gonna start breaking down the, 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 the borders. Instead of fighting, they started battling. So, so ba dance battles became popular at these parties. Everybody kind of had their, their music person, you know, like every group does. Every friend group has the person who, who, who has the best playlists. So it was similar at that time as well. So those, those people became the DJs. They were playing records and they were setting up stereo systems outside. That's Jamaican. So that's that's from sound system and sound systems are basically just these huge parties outside. Uh, again, poor people gathering. They weren't able to go to parties. And back then you didn't really have like a Walkman, right? You can be like, oh, I can't go to this party. I can't listen to music. So I'm just going to just going to listen to my in my in my iPod, my iPod, my, my phone. Like that wasn't a thing. You had to go to like public places basically to hear music. And then it was also reliant on that person's collection. To what music you were exposed to you didn't have the internet so that's why these huge parties were so popular and jamaicans were just sing up these speakers tying up these speakers so stacking them to the sky so if you ever see like speakers stacked on top of speakers on a flyer that's that's what jamaicans would do and still do to this day um and then they tie their their uh, turntables in and play music so this is jamaican descendants now bringing this to new york and you get what is the, the beginning of hip hop out of that. This is now 1978, so they're saying this is the birth of hip hop. But again, people aren't aware that it's hip hop. They're not calling it anything. They're just, to them, it's a truce. This is a representation of a truce. So you get now the same Jamaican community, Jamaican diaspora, who goes to basically three places when they leave Jamaica. Like there's three major places that you find them. And those places are New York, london uk and toronto the late 70s in toronto is also when the jamaicans started coming to alberta for work welding so you get hip-hop who jamaicans are kind of heralding um through what they've learned from their parents and it's going to these three places 
at the same time and extending out to <laughs> Edmonton, Alberta, by coincidence of economy. You also get people in the summertime, they go back and they visit family. So everybody who would be in Edmonton would go back to Toronto and New York to visit family and then come back to Edmonton to work. So Edmonton was like right up there with, we were like a summer behind hip hop without really knowing. It. So yeah, that, uh, that's, that's kind of what was going on. That's kind of where, how we tie in as, as Edmonton and how deep and far back we go. How your dad was involved in that scene, especially with the early kind of infiltration of hip hop music. Yeah. So now my dad, uh, he was one of the folks who came to Edmonton for welding. Um, he was also a DJ uh, and he was a funk DJ and he had a lot of family who DJed. Um, he doesn't know like what their DJ names were because he was so young doing it. But he, he explained to me that he had some some cousins who were teaching him how to scratch and they were, he's like they were some of the first guys ever scratching i'm like okay well, what were the, their dj names he's like i don't know <laughs> i just know them as and he goes there he gave their, their their real names norville was the cousin he said taught him that so i don't know who norville is but that might be someone who's pretty uh, foundational to hip-hop possible but my dad came here with dj skills where did your dad start DJing? I know that his father, my grandfather, owned yeah. nightclubs in New York. And my dad's like, the nightclubs were there were also day clubs, but he would, they, he would have musicians through. And there were clubs in the sense that you paid a, a fee, like a monthly fee, and it was your like club. And in the daytime, they'd have stuff going on. And then the, night, the nighttime, they'd have stuff going on. So I think because he was connected to that, like entertainment and hosting lifestyle, he got into it pretty soon. When he got to Edmonton, he started working at Sports World, which was a like roller skate spot. <laughs> oh, cool. In the middle, they would have pads and my dad would play breaks uh, from the funk music so the first breakers would be breaking at that time uh, in in Edmonton Alberta right to to those breaks. sorry just for context to what do you mean when you say breakers uh, breakers are your your break dancers so they dance to breaks DJs are in charge of the rhythm the pulse uh, and then you have graffiti which is you know your visual medium and then Last but not least, the MC, who is your your oral medium, and like to me, it's interesting with those four elements because those four elements also end up breaking down your four like ways of, of taking in information. You know, there's your visual, your tactile, your auditory, and kinetic movement. So, so again, like the people who came up with all of this were we're really young, like the concept <laughs> of hip hop was was brought together by like 14, 15, 16 year olds. For me, like I didn't really understand my dad as a part of the hip hop story because again, like I grew up with it and to me, his music was always funk. Um, and I didn't understand how funk and hip hop connected. 
but like a lot of the funk breaks so james brown those are the drum breaks that were used for hip-hop and that's what the fake dancers danced Ooh, that actually segues really well into our next question here too so what are some of the strongest memories that you have from your childhood watching your dad as a musician as this like dj in like the break scene and also as a basketball coach you had mentioned this too in our pre-interview so i thought maybe you can touch on some of those memories that you would have so by the time i was like of age to be like purchasing my own music I wasn't like my peers who were, were trying to get stuff that their parents wouldn't let them listen to. Like I wasn't really into Wu-Tang Clan, um, which a lot of kids my age were. Uh, and they were like hiding it under their pillows. And it was like CDs, right? Like it wasn't like you had iPods, right? Like you couldn't hide your music in a device <laughs> that had a passcode on it. Um, you had to physically have a hiding spot for the music that you collected. And that was tough, you know, it's tough when you live with your parents and you got one bedroom and you got one closet and there's limited spots you can hide your music. You know, you got like a shoebox. <laughs> um, and like parents would find these, these discs and let's like snap them in half. And you'd be like, no, because they're also like 20 bucks, 30 bucks. And that's a lot. It's a lot when you're a kid. <laughs> that's, how, that's how a lot of my peers were getting their music. And I didn't actually have that because my dad had a pretty good selection and collection of music. And I was always able to access it. Um, and I started making my own mixtapes really young. I would listen to CJSR, uh, 88.5, Saturday nights. Um, pretty, like, pretty much like 10 to like 5 in the morning was just like these series of hip hop shows. And I would be like half asleep waiting for songs and then hit record and I'd be making my own mixtapes. But I didn't see that I didn't see any of that as hip hop at the time. Like I wasn't understanding any of these roles of hip hop. They were just how we lived. And I guess that's like the what I remember the most is it was like it was a lifestyle. Like it was integrate integ in, integrated into our life enough that I didn't recognize it as as something outside of a way of living. Shout out to uh, T-E-D-D-Y, who, who was, who was the, the, uh, the DJ who would come on. And that's actually uh, Cadence Weapon's dad. Um, rest in peace, rest in power. But yeah, that's, that's uh, another Edmonton important pillar's father. Um, and that was his show that I used to stay up recording. And when did you first pick up a mic then? You mentioned you started making mixtapes pretty young. You kind of always had this immersion in the culture. What kind of inspired you to start recording? And like, when was that? Uh, I picked up the mic pretty late. Like, I was into the DJ side, like the music, I guess, curation side. A lot, a lot sooner, a lot earlier than I was into ever picking up a microphone. Like, I didn't really pick up a microphone until college. And that was mostly just because I'm like, I'm watching all these people trying to do Eight Mile because Eight Mile came out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so like everybody, all these clubs were open with battles, and they had all this money on the line all the time. I was like, man, I could do this. <laughs> just gotta pick up a mic and and make fun of somebody because like, grew up with the internet, and the first thing I ever used the internet for in grade eight 
or nine was to like download a bunch of yo mama jokes and print them out. So like that was the first thing I ever used the internet for. So I had mad like, and I guess that ties into the basketball thing. Like I was, I was a, a wee fellow. It took me a, a late bloomer. Um, took me a while to, to, <laughs> to break five feet. I could talk though. I could hurt someone's feelings and I could run. So I got really good at, <laughs> at that. And then I had like also, you know, this like chip on my shoulder because I played basketball of all things. It made me self-conscious of my height and I was ready to just like dig into anyone <laughs> verbally uh, who, who wanted to go there. And yeah, when it came time to like watch people battling, I was like, oh, this is, this is super easy. Um, and that was when I first got into battling. It was, was 2003. <laughs> and I, it's, it's, it's one of the most intimidating ways you could possibly induct yourself into like performing on stage. And um, I can definitely say that I learned how to handle fear and terror. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, any situation, throw anything at me after that. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, You're ready. I'm ready, yeah. Um, I, I got into spoken word poetry later on in my career and like, that was very easy to do because <laughs> I'm like, yo, I've had people literally just booing me while I'm rapping and or and or, you know, it's the other person's turn and they're just like screaming at you. <laughs> they're yelling at you, telling you they're going to beat you up because things were very like different as far as battling was back then because it weren't like it wasn't like on the Internet the next day. So what happened on the battle scene stayed on the battle scene. So it's really people really expressing exactly how they felt. <laughs> Um, without fear of like <laughs> being canceled um, as it would happen today, right? So uh, it was a very interesting time and you learned a lot about performance, a lot about performance that I've used throughout my career. Um, but yeah, started out just getting on stage because I knew a lot of your mama jokes. So with the battle rapping, that kind of translated into the spoken word poetry, and then eventually you kind of ended up making your own songs? Or when did making your own tracks kind of come into fruition? So I, um, I kind of, I battled for a while, and then it started getting into like the written battles, which I tried that a little bit. And yeah, I wasn't feeling it. I was like, I don't really like putting so much energy towards writing, because I was very used to freestyling. Um, which is a form of of battle that's different to, to what is today. Today, most people will like study the person they're going to battle and come up with all of their 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 punchlines on um, you know months before. Whereas when I was doing it, everything was on the spot. Extreme of consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm going to write, <laughs> um, I want to learn. I want to learn how to write well. And that's when I got into the poetry scene. And then for your poetry as well, because I've noticed that in your music, you always kind of tackle some tough topics and conversations. And it always seems like you're trying to either like educate people or provide a different point of view. Was it like that for your spoken word as well? Or was it more like to share about yourself? Just curious about kind of like your process. Yeah, I basically wrote 
to be able to like I I I, I hold I held a standard and I still hold a standard to my writing that like I should be able to do it um, a cappella just on a corner in the middle of the street and it should be able to hold its own just as much as it does to a beat so my poetry and my raps are the, same, the exact same <laughs> um, and yeah it worked I worked it to be that way because people are pretty like the poetry scene is pretty judgmental of of raps and rightfully so like when you don't have a beat what you're saying <laughs> matters a lot more than <laughs> uh when you have a beat and you can hide things or you can just say something that sounds good to the beat uh but there's no beat. there's lots of things that don't make sense and don't translate uh when you're when you're speaking it to a crowd there, there can't be just like throwaway bars that are just because you know there's a point on the beat that sounds good so you say yeah yeah uh-huh yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine watching that live, like in a spoken word. Oh, it's happened. I've seen it many times, many a time. Oh no! Um, and again, as and I've also been there because when I first got on the scene and I had written, memorized tracks, and I went to go perform them, I was like, "Whoa, there's parts in here that make no sense." And like, I don't. This is not a good performance. <laughs> um, in this. And that was kind of when I decided I wanted to use poetry to improve my writing, sharpen my writing. All right. So speaking on that as well, like how you've been immersed in the poetry scene and then with the kind of like your background with your dad, how did you, or when did you, sorry, start to build community for yourself or get involved in the community? So I'm a co-founder of this now festival now nonprofit organization. Uh, but I just started out as a party, a gathering uh, to make a statement about Pete and hip hop. So this was in 2007. And this was like, maybe 20 of us got together and put together a hip hop show in Louise McKinney Park that was going to be family friendly, give out free hot dogs and showcase all of the elements of hip hop. And we just chose a day and we did it. And it ended up being like a day that was, was sunny. And, and, and it's also, it was, it was during hip hop appreciation. It was to kick off hip hop appreciation. So that is the third week of May, which we know as May long weekend, which we also know as often raining long weekend. So it had been raining actually. It had been crap weather until that day. And that day the sun came out and everybody was out because it's Edmonton and we had just experienced and been traumatized by another winter. And um, we all came out, everyone came out and it was like 5,000 people were <laughs> at this, <laughs> this thing that we were doing. It was super awesome. We got mad complaints because <laughs> it was loud. And I'm pretty sure someone also wrote to the newspapers that there are people having sex in the bushes. I don't know if that was true or not. This was called Hip Hop in the Park. Beautiful. And what year did you say that launched in? Uh, 2007. And then what's next for Hip Hop in the Park? So you had this huge show, 5,000 people. Was it running annually? COVID is the first year we didn't run it on some, in some shape or form. Um, it's taken many shapes and forms. So like between year one and year six, basically it rained every year after that. <laughs> um, and city was like, yo, you guys can't just have shows <laughs> um, you can't just throw a concert without letting us know and 
making sure you have permits and blah, 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 blah. So that's why we ended up making it a nonprofit um, so we could be eligible for grants, so we could pay the permits and insurance and do it you know, legally. The community that kind of stuck with us through sunshine and rain was often like the the homeless and, and youth communities like there was like the street kids were always there rain sunshine um so we got really close with them and that ended up being like relationships with iHuman um and just like downtown you know like quote-unquote high risk um so that's kind of the beginnings of like hip hop in the park, like in schools. So we started doing workshops in schools. We started going to jails, um, doing workshops in jails. We were doing a lot of fundraiser events to lead up to our, our main event. Um, so we would have like a week. So there, and there'd be like a fashion show one day. There'd be like uh, um, adults, you know, like a nightclub show one, like night before the, the, the barbecue. And the barbecue would be all family friendly. It evolved after that and then it just came to a point of like okay like more and more people are, are becoming adults you know or adulting and we're not really like providing care or support to anyone who's like into that in, in that world you know so we're like oh we should you know definitely start looking at sustainability and like people just need like childcare. <laughs> So we started looking into those kind of things. So we, 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 we've now become more of like a social service, um, an arts therapy-ish social service sort of thing. <laughs> um, and yeah, like even like last summer, a lot of it was delivering groceries to people's houses and getting people to funerals and just navigating COVID as a community uh, versus as individuals. But yeah, that's super hip hop, you know. Hundred percent, like that's the community. Mm-hmm. And sorry, you touched on iHuman as well. I just want to circle back to that. Could you just briefly touch on your relationship with iHuman and how you're involved there? Yeah, um, that's actually a pretty good story. Like, what a lot of people don't know is that I learned most of what I know about producing and recording, like engineering, from. Like I used to go to iHuman um, just when I was hanging, like when I first started battling um, and I was just hanging with street kids because a lot of street kids knew how to freestyle. iHuman was a spot where you could get free recording and it was just like in some real sketchy areas all the time. I wasn't really at the time interested in it, but while people were waiting to record, you would have all these ciphers going on. Ciphers are just people um, passing the mic around you know, or, you know, conceptual mic around sometimes, just passing words around to a beatboxer generally. And they would be doing that while they're waiting for their studio time. A human was where a lot of the culture of like the freestyle MC lived. And there was also that you, you could record for free. So I was learning how to make beats. I was seeing people making beats. I was exposed. Um, fast forward now into like 2016. Enoch, who is the music director, he had some things going on and he had to to leave. And they called me to hold it down while in his absence. Um, They're like, it might be a week, might be a permanent gig. Um, I was like, yeah, cool. 
because I had worked in poetry, like on the poetry scene, like all these things connected at, you know, at this point, because poetry, I learned a lot of the language and you learn a lot about like, you learn about marginalized people, you learn about what, what's going on in across Canada with marginalized people. So yeah, I was, I was in a position where I was able to take that job up being two years um so yeah i managed their studio for a couple years um and now i work at boyle street education center basically doing the same thing um which is managing their studio and their music program i remember you touching on this earlier just like supporting the youth and being that space for them too mm -hmm. like always like so again like remembering that the youth created this thing right like this is this is a tool this is like you know a, a, an arts therapy tool and, and therapists hate it when i use that because you know they didn't go to school for the thing but you know they figured something out and i think they deserve credit um but these are again young kids figuring out ways to to make therapy and economy for themselves so you're really an advocate for like the inclusivity of like your knowledge that you've learned and hip hop culture itself instead of kind of, I guess, like gatekeeping a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me, and again, because of my lineage, like it allows me to talk to cats who are older as well as cats who are younger because I work in schools. And I'm, I'm, I'm connected to both. Uh, so me especially, because on the older side, there's a lot of cats who they're grumpy, man. <laughs> Not trying to, they're not trying to share nothing. They're not trying to talk to nobody um, without people having an understanding. You know, like they just feel like, yo, if you don't have the understanding. And then just to kind of like close off here. So you did record a song in the CJSR studio as well. So we were just hoping that you can share with us the name of the song that you had recorded and just telling us a bit about why you chose that one specifically to record and share with us so yeah this track is called uh, part-time apartheid at the time it was a, a lot of uh, me kind of struggling with like the idea of speaking for all of these things so like I, I, I people were all like you know what do you think about palestine and because at the time i had been on reserves and done some work on reserves i had a bigger picture of what was going on, you know, right in our own backyard. So it was just really interesting to me to see, you know, people you know, so interested in, in this, this issue that was far away and have no knowledge of, of things that are happening in their backyard. It's a song that really helped me ground myself as far as like, okay, what am I here to do? Uh, I'm not here to just echo what people want to hear. Uh, at the time, people wanted to hear about Palestine. And what did I think about Palestine? Um, and power to Palestine, you know. Um, and I can show that a lot more accurately. You know, I can actually be of value to that movement if I am aware and um, trying to improve what's going on out here. Um, and, and the song is just about exploring that. So you know, like exploring like what it means to exist and also to be in this body. Like I'm a black person um, of Caribbean descent, of native people from those islands. So to be in Canada, in this body, uh, what does that mean?
And that's 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 the song. When was the song originally recorded? Uh, okay, so I think it was originally recorded in 2011. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day to answer some of these questions and for kind of giving us this insight into hip hop history in Edmonton specifically and how you and your family have been involved. It was such a pleasure talking to you. I'm glad that, again, I'm able to share this rich history that we have in the city. And now here's part-time apartheid reprise by Kaz Mega, recorded live this summer at the CJSR studios. Yeah, I will never know my last name. Last name, my last, last name. Can't speak on Israeli military recon Palestinian street bombs or who side I be on Let's be honest, be on this particular subject The news ties the news that my people get hung with So I'm laughing as these major label stocks plummet Reality TV, civil servant shows rain operating budgets Athletes on lockout, it's bubbling, play the bubbling CEOs step down in Hollywood before our sudden shift Wait out the dumbness as the station slowly commits suicide And it's more than the public can stomach Overthrow the puppets who keep pumping out them sequels for cheap thrills Overlook of the scripts that we feel Could reveal the truth from tearing the roof off it too often Y'all turning a new profit off for true profits back And I'm just trying to bring the knowledge back The common blacks want to track with honest raps Let them come show their moms and paps To see what all this capping and bombs bongs and straps Conscious rap is not another genre of rap You see them walls and build here so Them walls are collapsed And them walls and build there so Them walls are collapsed Too many cons to track In an entertainment con Corrupt athletic record label contracts See I came up from the 90s Before Clara Clifford's hired Every Bill Cosby You could find a Richard Pryor Cut off the bills Made all these plastic dick for hire Exaggerated bitches now Who the hell the kids admire? Things are always being on fire Spirit never flammable I ain't Palestinian But relate to the challenge though Took us out the pyramids Left us in the catacombs Told us that we couldn't And only fed us can't alone Sipping on the scissor Probably ain't the antidote Back of the bus uh, bottom of the Palabo. They build walls, we build government housing Indian reserves, while the government stays living in the birds So welcome to the dark side of part-time apartheid They build walls, we build government housing Indian reserves, while the government stays living in the birds uh, uh, Welcome to the dark side of part-time apartheid Oh Canada, our home in Nederland No, it ain't my man as I write this, stealing from the natives, man Tell me that I'm lucky to be from this country And always have money, faces on these bills so ugly Dot your T's and cross your I's, details to qualify The dirty, gritty things we do to make it all online Now tell me about the natives, the Lafayette's the mazes And real OGs who've held it down for generations And as a black man to even be patriotic Is to accept the broken system and the backs we breaking on And not to pretend I'm mad at whites for lack of rights And sacrifices at the righteous While we're in the same man's Disguises, acting like it's white, sitting off the black backs of men. Really not quite, we eating off the backs of Africans, eating off the after them, and love for every moment of it. Every person doesn't know and doesn't even know them, doesn't. They build walls, we build government housing, Indian reserves, while the government stays living in the birds. So, welcome to the dark side of part time apartheid. They build walls, we build government housing, Indian reserves, while the government stays living in the birds. So, welcome to the dark side of part time apartheid. Ah, 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 ah.
And I all over again, I and I all over again I speak as missing murdered indigenous, yeah this is offspring Descended as intersections, connected to all things Four directions to no direction, cold summer, fall, spring Four seasons, see some go to waste like they draw strings Four elements, elevated rates evolving Protect black and indigenous femmes from haters' offerings Taino, the Cali Nago, Nehi out Iroquois Then tries connect, show respect, them no one of problems All them again, them no I saw nothing. Post black and orange squares. The Instagram and call it stunting. Growth stunting. Can handle being confronted. Cold blooded. And we both from it. We can't stay stone blunt inebriated. Won't numb it. No judgment. Klondike tight minds. Black gold nuggets. Peaked early. Then dipped all cap. No summit. No capital. More cap and ration and low budget. Love. And we acting like we don't love it. Hit you with the concrete facts. Cause we rose from it. Love. Held captive 400 cowboys and Indian crossover over budget like it's love. Acting like we don't love it. Act surprised about slaves now raising graves over their love. Like there ain't no subjects, like it ain't present day. Like we need your consent. Peace to the Middle East. Uh, salute is Vanguard. Tell it it is a black bar. Graveyards in your backyards. Peace to the CJSRs. And that's all for our show today. Thanks again to Kazmega. Today's show was produced by Vanessa Viros and myself, Biboye Onanuga. High Level Hip Hop is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. Follow us on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. Our first episodes in the series are out right now, so go check them out. And be sure to keep it locked to 88.5 FM, Tuesdays at 9 p.m. for future episodes. Find us online at highlevelhiphop.transistor.fm and on Facebook and Instagram at highlevelhiphop. You can also email highlevelhiphop at gmail.com and let us know what you think of the show. Our artwork is done by Esther DiMalanta and the original music by Sasha Liebrand. Special thanks to Miles Wilkinson for recording all the tracks. Until next time, bye humans.